0: She's the author of Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success, and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today?
1: Well Lloyd, today our show is wonderful. It is about Really finding a way to assess conflict and have peace building. And we have this wonderful book that I just was reading called Conflict Assessment and Peace Building Planning, a Strategic Participatory Systems-Based Handbook on Human Security. And it's by Le- And it's by Professor Lisa Shirk. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is the Director of the 3P Human Security at the Alliance for Peace Building. And also, she is a research professor at the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding at the Eastern Mennonite University. So I am just thrilled uh, to go over this book with her, and she's joining us right now. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa.
0: Thank you, Mari. It's so wonderful to be on your show. I admire your work.
1: Oh, well, I admire yours, too. Wow. So tell us, what is it that led you to prepare this book? Well, for
0: many years, actually almost 20 years, I've been working with community groups all over the world, here in the United States, in Kenya, in Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, many, many countries, to work at building peace from the ground up. And so that means that when we start a program, we really try to analyze and understand what are the forces that are driving people to conflict, what is driving them apart what is fueling violence in their communities, um, and how then, based on that understanding of the problems and also the resources for peace within that community, how do we plan a peace-building program that will really draw on the community's strengths and bring forward those leaders that are already there working um, together in a coherent and strategic plan for addressing then the root problems, the root causes of any conflict or violence.
1: Now is the are the root causes of conflict the same really everywhere? Are there some common themes and some different themes?
0: Well, yes and no. <laughs> I would say everywhere in the world people really want respect and it's it's almost the most important human need and human right that exists, because people will do without food, they'll do without shelter, if they feel that they have been humiliated. Um, So often what is driving conflict around the world is a sense of indignity or humiliation Mm -hmm. and this desire for respect. I see that in every single country and communities here in Virginia where I live, but also in Afghanistan it's the same dynamic. Of course, people have other human needs and other human rights. They do need um, food and water and basic supplies, but uh, that drive for respect and dignity, I think, is really one of the most important ones.
1: So how long have people been studying the causes of conflict?
0: Well, it's really the field of conflict resolution, as it's often referred to, is about 30 years old now. So I did my master's degree and Ph.D., back in the early nineties and i was in the really the second generation of students who were getting their phd's in this field um, and so there have been people researching what are the causes of conflict and what can we do to resolve or transform conflict for three decades and um, ngos non-governmental organizations community organizations around the world have been experimenting with different methods everything from using theater and the arts to doing mediation, to taking this to the courts with alternative dispute resolution. Just there's a whole range of different kinds of programs that have developed over the last 30 years that are really seeking to try to address those root causes.
1: So conflict assessment really is interdisciplinary. I know when I studied, you know, I've been mediating since the late 80s, so that was, you know, when we weren't really necessarily studying the causes we were just trying to get people to understand each other and um and obviously i read a lot about conflict healing and and the causes but um it sometimes you just have to try and resolve Mm -hmm. it and not necessarily know every cause of it you just need it seemed to me that the lack of understanding and and the lack Mm -hmm. of respect was a huge issue in every mediation that i've been doing over the years But um, so when I I took I went to uh, to my post law school training, I took my negotiation and mediation training at Harvard with Bill Urie and Roger Fisher Fisher, who, you know, Roger's gone now. But Bill was an anthropologist and Roger Fisher was an attorney. So Mm -hmm. that there are lots of different disciplines. Who are the types of disciplines that study conflict resolution?
0: That's a great question. Um, And you're absolutely right that. People from all kinds of disciplines. So I'm from my my undergraduate degrees in political science and international relations, but I work with many psychologists, economists, historians, psychologists, uh, anthropologists, as you noted, and then of course with I work now with the U.S. military and the U.S. government. Uh, so people from all walks of life, I mean, because conflict is everywhere, and every single discipline, in a sense, has its own particular approach to understanding the causes of conflict. Um, and usually conflict has a multi- uh, many different sources. Um, there's something about culture and clashing cultures, so anthropology is important. Communication studies, of course, as you notice, is really important because what's often missing for people in conflict, is an opportunity to talk with each other and the skills to really listen to each other and to speak diplomatically with each other so that they can hear each other and have some empathy for each other and and develop some mutually satisfying solutions to their problems. Um, So, yeah, but the psychology, obviously, if we look at the newspaper on any given day, you can see that much conflict and violence is stemming from people who are psychologically not at ease with themselves and the world. Um, So trying to understand the psychology of human beings is important as well.
1: Yeah. And I think about, you know, you said we've only been really studying conflict resolution in the last 30 years. And I remember, I, you know, I, I see now when I go to the Association for Conflict Resolution, I get to meet all these wonderful people at these different universities who are studying this. And I'm thinking, wow, that would have been so great to study that. But yeah. it wasn't even around when I was in college, not like it is now. Right. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, conflict has been. And, you know, when you think of from from the beginning of time, right we we yeah. Cain and Abel, you know all these guys have been um, engaged in conflict, and so many times it was just you know neighbors, King Solomon or religious leaders that were involved in the conflict resolution. And so much of this conflict resolution was really fighting to the death, right? right. And uh, hopefully as we evolve, it's getting better. But what are some of the the great challenges that it seems to me, there's huge challenges in understanding the nature of conflict?
0: Well, part of the challenge is that we have all these different disciplines, and we have even governments that approach problems from different perspectives. So the U.S. government has the U.S. Agency for International Development, and the US military for example and when those two different agencies go into a place like Afghanistan they tend to see the causes of conflict really differently so part of the challenge at a policy level is is bringing together people with different life experiences with who've studied different disciplines who approach life in really different ways and sitting them around the same table and saying what's going to be our policy in this country to stop the violence and to support peace. And I think we get such fragmentary, um, counterproductive policies so often because people don't understand each other even as we talk about what's causing conflict.
1: Yeah, you know, even the language, I get a kick out of this. I've been doing some programs with a friend of mine who is a psychologist. And um, so we did a a program. The first one we did together was called The Gift of Conflict. And we laughed about it because we had some conflicts. But, you know, conflict is inevitable. But it wasn't a nasty conflict. It was just a whole different perspective because I come from the, the legal mediation, you know, kind of outward. And he's from the inward. He's saying, You know, just as as many psychologists do, you know, all conflict comes from within, which it does. But he would just focus on the inner stuff. And I would focus on, okay, so this inner stuff exists. But so what are some tools that you can use? You know, active listening is is a tool, you know, reframing is a tool you know, the, and, 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 you are know, using I messages. So I'm more, I was into the tools to use that. And he's from the inner, you know, the, the Maslow and it was, and I get what you mean because we were kind of talking different languages. And, um, but then when we did blend it together, everybody really loved it because we said, okay, he's the, you know, it was the yin and the yang, the man, the woman, and then right. the inside and the outside and, it was it, it can be really wonderful, but it does take some work to to really kind of understand each other's language and, and how you're speaking. Then we did one called um, how to deal with prickly people. Yeah. And that one was even more of a challenge because I wanted to give step one, two, three, four, five, and he's going, No, you have to understand the nature of the prickliness, <laughs> you know. <Yeah>. Okay? <laughs> and and so we we really had to dig deep you know, because we both are healers of conflict, but we had to dig very deep into how can we blend this so people get a lot out of it. Right, And um, so I could imagine if you have 10 people sitting around the table and they're all from dis- different disciplines, yeah. and we were really committed to spending this time to do this, but, um, you know, I would imagine that there'd be some egos that got involved as well.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And then so that's it 's even difficult uh, for any group of people to get together around a table and agree on what 's driving conflict in or the u s government but in Afghanistan, for example, you had all the NATO countries sitting around the table, and really they each had their different perspective on what was the problem and what needed to be done. And the diversity between the countries and within the countries, it it led for sheer chaos. So for me, (laughs) fixing this problem of trying to take a multidisciplinary approach and a really thorough approach to conflict analysis or conflict assessment is really a first step in trying to get our foreign policy and our domestic policy right.
1: Yeah. Tell us a story about how people misunderstand the causes of conflict Do you have any specific story that you could kind of tell us without naming people? (laughs) I think even if we think back to
0: 9-11 and we look at the news coverage after 9-11, the news really didn't quite know how to cover it right away. The media sort of first of all said, why do they hate us? Mm -hmm. And then we quickly got off of asking that question because even to ask that question became traitorous to say that there was something that we did to deserve that tragedy, which, of course, nothing that the U.S. could have ever done would have uh, led to a justification for that uh, horrific act. But trying to understand the root causes was uh, um, almost stamped out. And then the narrative in the media came to be, Well, there's evil, there's the axis of evil, and those countries, everybody who's not with us is against us. And they're the people. And so evil and the source of violence became located within individuals rather than problems that could be addressed. Um, And for me, that was a very pivotal moment uh, uh, and a, a fault, I think, as a nation to not... Look broad more broadly at the causes, why were those young men driven to do that? It was not just religious extremism there was a, there's a whole political economic analysis of how whole groups of people are being left out of sort of an international consensus and globalization and economic development, and, and those people really you know, have a legitimate grievance that uh, unfortunately was acted on by men who did not have a legitimate uh, course of action. But I think the scrambling of the war on terror to, to try to locate individuals that we must kill has not proven to be an effective strategy because the causes of the conflict are not evil that's in, inherent in, in people, it's, it's in broader structures and political, economic, and social and cultural structures, and we've really not done enough to address those root causes. And so, unfortunately, there are many more young people today that have so much hate in their hearts and, and, and desire to do violence. To others, including those in the United States, so we haven't actually made ourselves that much safer through all of this decade of war and aggression, um, and trying to finally kill the last young man uh, or woman who's who's aiming this way. So I think that we've made a big mistake, and and at this point, I'm really hoping as a country we can go back and ask this question: Why do they hate us? What are their grievances? What are they saying? about why they hate us so much, because it doesn't really have to do with religious extremism.
1: Yes. I think it gets back to that word respect and dignity and and being understood and Mm -hmm. and having that connection and feeling left Mm -hmm. out. And, you know, I think kind of the same way about this whole issue with handgun control. And and it's like that's the Band-Aid, and Mm -hmm. the real issue is... These kids who feel alienated, the kids who don't feel respected, the kids who right. who feel that um, they're lost. And because it's been so many kids that we've seen it, but it's anyone, you know, who feels disrespected or right. out here in California. We had that wayward cop who went around and killed people when he was felt that he was not respected. Right. and he, You mm-hmm. know, and and so we have to go to that that route, even on an individual level in this country that 's right and, Absolutely. Um, and you know and and what people are seeing is ways to resolve their their feelings of you know, uh, impotency or their feelings of respect, you know, that yeah. they feel that they have to turn to a gun. And then, of course, that's what they're seeing on TV. That's what yeah, that's they're right. seeing in their video games is that's the answer instead of seeing mediation on TV and people that's loving right. each other. It drives me crazy. But, right. Um, <laughs> no,
0: that's right. And, and you know, the pushback we often get, well, you know, that young man uh, who was killing uh, police officers he did need to be stopped. he needs to be imprisoned but right. that 's not enough because the, there 's a systemic problem of respect yes. and and that 's the the root cause in so many places is really a lack of respect for certain groups or certain people and If we only take a criminal justice approach and we don 't look at those other psychological cultural social political dynamics we 're missing a way to prevent future violence and really trying to address the root causes. I mean, it's just, um, it's not enough to to just have a criminal justice approach.
1: Right. So let's talk about what exactly is peace building. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it takes
0: – peacebuilding is a whole field of study right now. At the United Nations, there's the Peacebuilding Support Office, and governments around the world are starting to start their own peacebuilding programs. So really after 25 years – the first 25 years we weren't really acknowledged as a field. Um, now in the last five years, I feel like our field has gained a lot of credibility among governments and at the, the highest levels of um, – of organizations around the world, also religious organizations in the media and universities are organizing their own peace-building degree programs. It's a field of study that takes an interdisciplinary approach to addressing the root causes of conflict and developing a wide range of activities that can help address the economic, the social, the political um, psychological, anthropological causes that drive conflict.
1: Yeah, I was looking at your chart, you know, as I was reading through your book, the five categories of peace building and human security. And you kind of explain what those are like the personal, the relational, the cultural, the structural, and the levels of change. Can you kind of give us a little bit about each of those? I thought that was really fascinating to look at it mm-hmm. in those categories.
0: Sure. I mean, I think at the individual level, um, individuals do have a responsibility for their behavior, and there's lots of peace-building programs that really aim at individual change for people taking accountability and responsibility for their lives and making good choices and acting in an ethical and value-centered way. Um, But individuals, you know, evolve out of a community, and so at the interpersonal and community level, what do we do as schools, as religious communities, and and as uh, neighborhoods to support young people making good choices, having job opportunities? How do we structure our society so that individuals have the opportunity to make those good decisions? And then at the national and global level, a lot of decisions about how economic systems work, um, how the media will run and what kinds of stories are going to be covered. These are much larger level uh, transformations that need to happen so that we create a world that functions for the good of all people and is not organized in a way that's really supporting elite groups of people, corporations or wealthy people, because so many governments and economic systems really are organized around the principle of helping an elite group to become even more elite to control political and economic systems. And so, you know, peace building happens at each of these levels. Systems need to change, but individuals need to change, and communities uh, can help that happen.
1: Right, right. You know, I'm. I was thinking about just the, that. I'm preparing to do this negotiations class for law enforcement coming up, and and I was thinking about the, you know, how people negotiate, and and that's a, a you know, for conflict resolution. And when people feel that there that there's that win lose mentality, that that loser who has no power that is overpowered by by society or by whatever. Yeah. They they get they have they feel like they have to get revenge. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're we're really not, um you know, we're not doing any enough in this country, let alone in all the other countries. You know, you're over there working in all over the world. But, you know, we here need to walk our own talk. We need to be the change that we want to see in the rest of the world. Right.
0: Yes, Absolutely.
1: So what's, what are you guys doing for this country? You know, I'm thinking about the gangs and, Uh, and, and, you know, uh, I don't know if you know who Azim Kamisa is, but Azim Kamisa um, is an incredible uh, peacemaker here in Southern California. His son was killed by a 14 year old gang member when he was delivering pizza to, to earn money to go work his way through college Mm. And um, it was a senseless killing, but his, but Azim decided, you know, I can't, I can't live with this unforgiveness. I have to do something about it. And uh, he's a Sufi, and his religion just said, I, I have to let go of this, or it's going to mm-hmm. kill me. Mm-hmm. So he actually sought out uh, the grandfather of the of the young gentleman who killed his son, and said, Look, there's victims at both ends of the gun here. And help me. We're going to start a foundation so we can go into the schools and tell what happened to our children. My children died and yours is in prison. Tell what happened because of these gangs. And they have done incredible work with this foundation in the last 15 years. And I had him on my radio. She's written a lot about forgiveness. But, you know, it seems to me that we have to start here, too. You know, so oh, absolutely. So, what is your what is your uh, peace building? What are what is your consul doing in the United States? Are you guys working here too?
0: Well, the work that I'm doing is. I mean, I've worked a lot in the United States. I think peace building is relevant for every single community in every part of the world. Right. Um, there's no. This is not just something that's for foreign policy or abroad. My work right now in my life is focused on U.S. foreign policy and trying to educate U.S. military and U.S. Uh, policymakers about what, is the, what are the root causes of conflict and help them listen to local people to be able to better assess how local people define their own security and what they think needs to be done to help uh, build peace. And then, to what what the policy options are for the U.S. in supporting peacebuilding both abroad and at home. So, I'm really trying to focus now on really key level systemic decision makers. Um, but there are many conflict resolution, conflict transformation, training programs all over the United States that are helping communities. Uh, take this approach. And so I'm, I'm fully supportive and aware of all of the efforts here at home.
1: So when you get t- together with the, these people around the table that are that you said, you know, that you're all trying to define what is, you know, what is the strategy that you're going to use in a particular comp- mm-hmm. country? Are those people trained in conflict resolution? Do they know the, you know, no. the active listening? Do they do the reframing? Do they, you know, do they, do they <laughs> no, use the unfortunately tools? unfortunately
0: not. Oh. Uh, all of these things, I'm, I'm trying to be have them incorporated at the Foreign Service Institute, where all of our diplomats get trained in the U.S. Because right now these topics are not taught there about really how to do deep listening and reflective listening and how to reframe and all of the parts of principled negotiation and getting to yes. I mean, these are old concepts for those of us who've been working in this field, but uh, they're still very new for people in the U.S. government. It's not part of their training. So it's absolutely essential if we're going to make better decisions as a country. And obviously you can probably just look at our Congress and the divisions and see that there's not a lot of conflict resolution skills there or ability to talk with people across the aisle to solve problems. It um, seems
1: to me that one of the prerequisites for being a diplomat should be that you have to go through this training and that when you sit the people around the table that they're going to do some strategizing for peacemaking, that a condition precedent would be that they that they engage in two days of, you know, intense work with just practicing some of these, you know, learning the skills and practicing them together so that when they actually come to talk about what is what is going to be our plan, that they use those tools. Absolutely. But that's not happening. It's not happening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I totally agree with you, and that's really what led me to Washington because I was teaching community-level practitioners and community activists from around the world and around the country and I just finally realized, you know, someone needs to go to Washington with these skill sets. and um,
1: Yeah, but try I mean, even them. the people, when you get there, when you get to Afghanistan or you get to these places, it seems to me that everybody has to be on the same page so that they can try and coordinate and collaborate together uh, when they're trying to bring peace to a particular country. That's right. I mean, how can they even do it? That's right. No wonder there's chaos, right?
0: That's absolutely right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we are speaking now with um, the author of this wonderful book, that is called, and and I have I have all these things that I pulled out here, uh, conflict assessment and peace building planning. And this is a strategic participatory systems based handbook on human security by Lisa Shirk. She's a professor and a director of a peace institute in Virginia, and. I'm just looking at the time. We have just a little bit time left. And so what would you say for people like here we are on the campus at the University of California. So with in, in this little time that we have left, Lisa, what you know, what do you think for our students who are listening in? What would you suggest for them to be able to to help out in this wonderful effort of peace building?
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Well, I think all of us have a role in peace building. It's not just the role of governments, uh, local governments, or the national government. Each of us has a role to play. And part of our responsibility as citizens is to understand the complex roots of conflict. And that means reading the news, but also really challenging the news framing of really what's to blame here. Is it a system? Is it an individual? Who's, you know, what's responsible and how might we really be creative in solving today's problems?
1: Well, Lisa, thank you so much. Your wonderful book, Conflict Assessment and Peacebuilding Planning. And would you just give your website and then we have to go?
0: Sure. I'm at the Alliance for Peacebuilding in Washington, D.C. That's That's www.allianceforpeacebuilding.org.
1: Lisa, keep up that wonderful work. It's wonderful to talk to you, and I hope that we talk again soon. That
0: sounds great. Thanks okay. so much for having me on your show.
1: Thank you. you Take be- care keg here you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net I'm Mari Frank join us every Monday morning at eight thirty a.m and listen to our show prescriptions for healing conflict and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests download podcasts listen to archived interviews and write us emails about your thoughts about healing conflict in your life and in our world thanks it's about
0: trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.